Alcoholism can often stymie the treatment of coexisting conditions. Sometimes alcohol is used to self-medicate problems such as anxiety, depression, or insomnia. Other times, treating alcoholism can reveal the presence of an underlying condition. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Dr. Sujit Varma, Medical Director of Range Mental Health Center in Hibbing, Minnesota. Dr. Varma is a psychiatrist and recognized expert in addiction medicine. Welcome. Thank you, Leslie. It's great to be here. Uh, Sujit, now how does someone become an alcoholic? Well, someone doesn't choose alcohol as a career move. It's usually uh, something that hijacks their system and takes control over them. Uh, Your typical alcoholic uh, starts drinking maybe in his late teens or early 20s. And the reason he becomes an alcoholic is that uh, he has a predisposition to develop alcoholism. When he drinks alcohol, what alcohol does to his system is that it gives his dopamine system a terrific kick so that through the opioid receptors, a lot of dopamine is released in the brain, in the cortex. And that causes this terrific rush and that reinforces a reward behavior. Uh, so the future alcoholic decides to drink more to keep getting into that uh, feeling of uh, reward. Now, there are different courses that the alcoholic can take, and it's a slippery slope. There are alcoholics who start off drinking just on the weekends occasionally, uh, and that's called binge drinking. And then they start liking it so much that they start drinking on every weeknight. At this point, they're probably in a stage called alcohol abuse, which is a milder version of alcoholism. When you're in alcohol abuse, you basically are having problems with your social life, your occupational life, or even legal issues, but you still have to drink because you are so addicted to that product that this doesn't matter. Now, let's take that one step ahead. You start drinking in the mornings, and that's called alcohol dependence. You need to drink to have an eye-opener. You're having withdrawal tremors. Your hands are shaking when you wake up in the morning. You have a craving for alcohol all throughout the day. You start drinking despite knowing that drinking alcohol is affecting you financially, health-wise, At that point, you're at alcohol dependence, and that's the worst part of this condition. Okay, so there's a whole spectrum, obviously. So does alcoholism occur in response to other issues, uh, mental or physical? Yes, alcoholism is actually used, or alcohol is used as a self-medication or a self-coping mechanism. So when people are depressed and they're anxious, they turn to the brown bottle for the answers. And uh, it's hard to say if the alcohol is actually propagating the condition or did the condition propagate alcohol. So I usually get comorbidity with most of my patients. And uh, I can only say that, uh, yes, if you do have a stressor in your life, alcoholism is going to be harder to treat. And that's where the counseling plays a very important role in treating alcoholism. Okay. Can you give us an example of a patient you've treated maybe like this? Yes, uh, I can give a very good example. I have this uh, gentleman. He's about 35 years old, pretty intelligent. He was actually an engineering student. He also had bipolar disorder. He had a lot of uh, drug abuse issues, and one of them was alcoholism. And when I saw him, he was uh, being put on medication for his bipolar disorder, but he kept relapsing, and I realized that the reason he relapses is because he keeps drinking, and the alcohol is not helping him with his bipolar medication, and he's not able to complete his course, though he was a very intelligent gentleman. So I gave him a particular medication that would help him with the craving. I also sent him for counseling, MICD, which stands for Mental Illness and Chemical Dependency Groups, and the patient started getting better, and I noticed that his response to the bipolar medications also got better. I did, however, realize that he also started getting a lot of anxiety. So he was actually self-medicating his anxiety for the last five or ten years or longer since he's been drinking, and he never knew that he was anxious because he was always drunk. 
So now we realize that he does have anxiety, and that probably is the condition that led to his uh, worsening of his alcoholism. We did treat his anxiety as well, and now he's been abstinent for at least a year. He finished his engineering, and he's a productive member of society. If alcohol serves as a self-medicating option, how difficult is it to treat alcoholism as well as a comorbid condition? It seems like it's really hard. Yes, it is very hard, and I wish my life was easier. You have to treat both at the same time. Uh, If you do have a comorbid condition and you do have alcoholism, you don't just treat one and leave the other out. Uh, Like I said, alcohol is a universal disease. It affects all parts of the body. So I treat the mental illness. I treat the alcoholism. I also refer them to specialists to treat other medical conditions. And it's very hard because the alcoholism has been used for so many years by that patient as a crutch, as a coping skill. That's the patient's counseling tool. We need to break that cycle by giving medication, by counseling. We need to give them alternative resources for them to spend their free time. A lot of these people apparently who drink spend three or four hours drinking. So once you stop the craving, they have this three or four hour period of their life where they have nothing to do. And we have to encourage them to do more uh, healthy, beneficial things. So in order to be successful and treating comorbid conditions, uh, you need to treat each and every aspect of that. And uh, it's not easy. But if you don't treat all of them, you're never going to get rid of either of them. So do you treat them simultaneously or or one before the other? How do you decide where to start? No, I treat them both simultaneously. Uh, The rare exception would be if I have to give them a medication that might cause some kind of adverse reaction because of a medical reason. For example, if someone comes to me and he's, he's an alcoholic, he also has hepatitis, and he also has bipolar, and then I need to give him a medication for his bipolar, but I'm afraid that it might affect his liver, then I have to think of alternative medications to give to that patient to control his bipolar, while I'm also controlling his alcoholism that don't worsen his hepatitis. But uh, in, uh, in a nutshell, it's very simple. No, more the diseases the patient has, the more the comorbidity, the more um, times you would have to treat all the different aspects of that condition that the patient presents with. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Sujit Varma. We are discussing alcoholism and its common comorbidities. Now, Sujit, I, I was told or taught in school that you needed to completely detox the alcoholic first because maybe, especially their psychiatric problems, were just the alcohol and that you could get confused if you diagnosed them too early with psychiatric problems. What do you think about that? Yes and no. I think at certain times it's better to wait for the patient to be totally detoxed. But in this day and age, we do not do a total detox unless we're so sure that it's only alcoholism. I've never actually met a patient to this date who only came to me with alcoholism. They usually do have underlying problems. Because you've been drinking for a long time. You messed up a lot of your body systems, your central nervous system. You've affected your life. There's going to be some kind of depression. There is bound to be some degree of anxiety some degree of lack of coping with the outside world. So I do detox them, but I don't wait like for a week to find out my diagnosis. I can clarify that within a day or two, and I do start putting them on medication, at least for the alcoholism, if not for any other comorbid condition, if I'm not sure about it. But I don't wait too long to start suggesting alcohol treatment. I think uh, we must be more aggressive with that. We should start treating alcoholism Uh, as soon as the patient can receive any kind of medication or counseling. Now, does alcohol impede the effects of medicines for other problems? 
Yes, a lot of alcoholics need medications for several other conditions because it is a universal disease. An example would be someone with alcoholism who has a seizure disorder, which can happen pretty commonly if you're withdrawing from alcohol, or you may just have seizures by itself. If you give someone alcohol, which goes through the liver and also causes liver problems, and you give them phenobarbitone, for example, then you're going to create a lethal reaction there. Phenobarbitone can be dangerous at certain doses. Another condition would be giving someone alcohol and giving them a benzodiazepine. They both cross uh, react or have cross tolerance. So patients can actually overdose on the clonopin and chase that down with some alcohol, and that can be lethal. You can go into coma and uh, probably never wake up. So, uh, yes, alcohol does affect most medications that I can think of, and uh, you'd probably want to give medications that are very safe, that don't go to the liver if you're uh, not sure that your patient is ever going to be abstinent, but it would be advisable to keep maintaining abstinence in your patients if you're going to give them medications that do have those problems with the liver. Now, switching gears here a bit, what about the impact of trauma, especially psychological trauma, uh, but perhaps physical trauma as well with alcoholism? How do you go about treating those patients that maybe have post-traumatic stress disorder and alcoholism? Well, again, that would be uh, going back into the uh, consideration of talking about counseling with uh, medication. Yes, I do have a lot of patients like that, uh, maybe sexual abuse as a child, even uh, veterans who witness things, and they use the alcohol as a crutch uh, to self-medicate so that they don't see these things. And you would want to treat the alcoholism with pharmacotherapy and with counseling. And then you can direct specific counseling to the post-traumatic stress disorder. You can you know, take them through things like CBT, through individual therapy, and have them, uh, you know, resolve some of those issues. And there is even medication that has been used for conditions like that, post-traumatic stress disorder. So we would, again, once need a multi-pronged approach to this condition by treating both the alcoholism and the post-traumatic stress disorder. Because if you just deal with the alcoholism, then the patient is still going to have that stress. And it's probably going to get worse because he doesn't have the alcohol to control it and might start abusing some other medication or drug that you're not aware of. So how do you go about avoiding that scenario with the patient that they're just going to turn to another substance if they're alcohol-free? Well, if I had the answer for all these questions, <laughs> I'd probably be in Stockholm collecting my Nobel Prize in <laughs> medicine and physiology. But, yeah, it's very hard. Uh, I've had a patient who was uh, an alcoholic, and he said he never abused any other drug. And I put him on a medication that took away the craving, and I controlled his anxiety. And one of those anxiety medications was Clonopin. And what happened is uh, three months down the road, he kept increasing his Clonopin. And he's never abused Clonopin, which is a benzodiazepine. And now I realize that he was now getting addicted to benzodiazepines. And benzodiazepines and alcohol are cross-tolerant. So now we had another issue there. And I've had another client who was uh, addicted to Benadryl, which mm. you don't think is really yeah. addictive, but... It did give him a high, and he got addicted to it, was taking like 500 milligrams of Benadryl a day and not sleeping. So I do have patients like that. What I tend to do is then I try to wean them off that. I refer them to groups in my clinic called the Partial Hospitalization Program, where we can take them off the medication faster. We can teach them alternative ways to cope with that anxiety or why they need that other medication, like relaxation therapy. And we even have things like virtual therapy, where you can walk through a scenario so that you don't get extra anxiety from certain stressors. So counseling plays an important role over there. Switching medications to less addictive medications would be another thing, like not giving them benzos, giving them medications like SSRIs, giving them Boost Bar, which are less addictive, would be 
uh, ways to deal with patients who are getting addicted to other substances. And obviously, if there are antidotes for other uh, substances of abuse, then you would want to give them that too. And uh, I'm just giving an example here. For example, if someone is abusing opioids, then you could think of medications that would be good for opioids. An example would be naltrexone, which could also be used for an opioid addiction plus alcohol addiction. That leads to another question. Do the anti-craving drugs for alcoholism, do they work on other drugs like uh, amphetamine or cocaine, marijuana? Yes, it can be used. For example, naltrexone, which blocks opioid receptors, helps with cravings for opioid as well as for alcohol. So that's an example of a medication that can be used for both I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Sujit Varma. We have been discussing alcoholism and common comorbidities. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.